0: Welcome back to the Grand Life Podcast. Today, we're very lucky to have a good friend of mine, Connor Joyce, who is a real estate developer in Dublin. So, Connor, thanks a so lot for joining. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. No probs. So, I want to start with a couple of things. We're obviously in school together, but that's not the only thing we have in common. Uh, while you were studying in Trinity, or before you went off to study in Trinity, you did the same thing I did. You went down to Sydney and did a gap in Australia.
1: Exactly, yeah. So, similarly to yourself I suppose in sixth year initially I would have been quite keen to go straight into college but thankfully someone gave me a piece of advice to apply for a program that was on offer in the school which whereby essentially you could go over to Sydney and work in a school for 12 months as as nearly a kind of teacher's assistant over there so I took the opportunity and about 2 weeks 3 weeks after my leaving cert um I flew out to Sydney and done 12 months over over there so yeah, it's good, it's a great experience.
0: So a lot of people after COVID, after being like locked up for nearly two years and that sort of thing, they're gonna really wanna just like get out of their shell, probably quit their jobs and travel and that sort of thing. Doing it at that age is different to doing an early career, but do you feel like it propelled you or held you back? Or like, how did it kind of affect you in getting started? Cause some people worry about that.
1: Yeah, it, it, honestly it had a huge benefit, I thought obviously Evidently being thrown into Sydney at 18 you're quite raw and I just all you want to do is just go out and enjoy yourself and to be honest you did for a lot of that year. You, you enjoyed yourself, but really it was amazing to think you switched quite quickly from being a student like to the staff room and even the maturity levels of just meet, engaging with staff and even instantly students that was uh, in and around not too much younger than you um, brought you on massively I thought and yeah I think coming back then it was great so and simply it was a great experience. it's so much travel we covered a lot throughout the year um and even at that age, I think it's a great time to do it because post college people would always say they'll travel or even you know a few years into their working life, people would say they'll travel, but evidently different types of stuff comes up there could be yeah different type of restrictions at that age, so I think at that point to go, it was great, I was carefree. I had my college course that I deferred and um and yeah, it was, it was brilliant, yeah so yeah. And I think, when you, came think back, yeah. sorry, when you came back to college then, I think it it, yeah, it gave you a certain level of maturity, maturity. I think it definitely would have pushed me on and kind of had me much more engaged for first year college per, on a personal level than I think the opposite, which many people and parents. I like think my mother or father would have kind of been a bit feared that I would have went 12 months and then be gone. But I think I actually was counter to that, that it actually made me much more engaged by the time I came back.
0: Yeah, it did the same to me, actually. And it, like, it, it got a fair bit of partying out of the system, to be fair. But it also, because uh, you come back and the la- your friends are all like here above you now and you're trying to just get college done and not really mess around too much. I actually think, and all that freedom that you now have after school, you get to release all that where there's no consequences or where there's no, like, you know, you're not going to fail any exams or anything like that. Whereas other people come in, do fail exams, you know, add an extra year onto a college and that sort of thing. So I think it actually it does serve people very well. I personally very much recommend it to people uh, to go and figure it out there Yeah, 100%. Well, so what did you actually study in Trinity then?
1: So I came back and studied BESS. So BESS which I suppose a lot of your listeners would be quite familiar with. But yeah. it was probably between, at the time, I knew I kind of wanted to always go down a kind of business route. Um, so at the time, it would have been probably a trade-off between BNL or Bess and Trinity. Um, I suppose myself yourself know that there's probably, I thought at the time, Trinity would have just gave me a broad exposure to people. There would have been a lot of my friends would have been going towards UCD, and I would have thought even Australia just had a kind of, want to kind of meet just a certain amount of more new people and I thought Trinity would have facilitated that more than than uh, UCD so yeah I went down the route
0: of best. I can uh, I can confirm that I was part of that group in UCD who literally just sat together every day. <laughs> 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 not much personal development there at all so I think you made the right decision. Well, I'm guessing the highlight of uh, of your time at Trinity was actually getting to go and leave Trinity and go and do this stint in, in Boston, in Babson College.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, in third year, I had the option to go abroad, and um, again, coming back from Sydney, uh, I always kind of had it in my mind that I wanted to get away for third year. So, I applied to Boston, uh, to Babson, went across, and yeah, done the twelve months over there, which was, which is great to be honest. It was, uh, it was again another a great stint abroad, but very, very different to uh, Trinity in the sense, Babson was like it was quite a small college, um, so there was. You know, the class size is probably about 25, 30 people per class versus your big lecture halls. Um, It also followed, you know, your standard kind of US system. Well, one thing I would feel with Trinity, which I've I've always said, is Trinity, and I know it's changed now because they're trying to move away into, like, the new business school, but Trinity, in my eyes, was very academic. It followed Mm. a very British system versus UCD, which is follows the US system. And what I mean by that is that UCD is very good at, at making people get up and deliver kind of presentations and whatnot. Well, Trinity didn't follow that system. In two years at Trinity, I think I'd done one presentation, which is bonkers for a business course. Yeah, so back to your original question. When I got to Babson, they were like this US system turbocharged because they they completely prided themselves on like the entrepreneurial spirit. And that, kind, and that was, I suppose, their selling point as a college. So every class I did was hugely geared towards present presentations and just kind of being more practical. So like examples, one of the best examples I can give is one of the classes I did over there was this class called the Ultimate Entrepreneurial Challenge. It was amazing, but it was so different from anything Trinity-esque. So day one of the class, there was like 30 people there. And the guy, the professor who's leading the class, he was like, you know, he's, a, he's an entrepreneur himself, who has multiple companies millionaire if not hundreds of millionaire um and he stands up and the first thing he does is he goes right who wants to be C- ceo of of each of the groups and you know you have these americans who shoot their hands up and he goes right come down here and the whole premise of the class i suppose to back date it is day one you pick your teams and the rest of the weeks for the whole semester he sets out a case study and he says what he sets out a case study for a company and he brings it to a certain point and then he goes what do you do now and he kind of each each team would have to go away, come up with their own presentation about what's the next steps, and then the week later, each team would come back and present their findings, and he would tell you if that – it would always be based on a real case study, and he'd tell you if it, if it worked or if it didn't, and even in some weeks, they would have had the actual business owner, who would have might have been an ex-Babson student, come in and talk through the problem themselves about what actually happened versus what you presented. But sorry, back to my point on day one – in that course he would have got the CEOs he called them but just group leaders they would have come up and presented themselves and like you know Americans they just love to talk about themselves they're so well presented which is an amazing thing and then everyone would have had to get up like you're back in like a schoolyard in school get up and pitch yourself to these people you've never met and then everyone would have just picked their teams and that would have been day one and it was just constant and every class over there was just constant presentations and and that respect so on an academic point it was Great and that for me, it just really opened my eyes to how the Americans go about it in that way and and definitely helped me hugely in that, which is good. Um, and then obviously on the social side, it was America's pretty good crack, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it <was pretty> <laughs> so, if, if Sydney matured you, what did uh, what did America do? good question. Um, age <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, no, you know what it Probably just gave me more confidence because I genuinely, when I first arrived in there, like even any of the classes I did, I was just like, Oh my god, these guys are so smart! Like, because yeah. you know, it's it flipped from being in a lecture hall in Trinity where an lecturer would have asked a question and everyone's just like, Oh, no one's saying a word, you know, like no one's no one, no one is coming out with anything. Versus it was like some nearly like you were in school where they were just hands were whipping up and they had such articulate answers to everything that was asked. But then when it came down to, I suppose, the actual test or the detail of it, they were, you know, I wouldn't say they were, they were just like us all, like quite, they're fine, they weren't as as ridiculous. So in some respect, it just showed me the power of being able to present and kind of put that foot forward. So yeah, it highlighted that. And I think that's quite clear with Americans, they are very good at that.
0: Yeah, it's funny, I used to ask on this, uh, what people's biggest regret of college was and but I remember thinking, I think like 20 of the first 30 answers was uh, or were, I wish I did a year abroad or six months abroad or semester abroad or whatever it is. It's a huge, huge thing to do. So um, I think you're, you're pretty lucky to have gotten to do that. and Obviously, you worked for it as well. So when you got back, uh, finished up best, decided to went to KPMG then. Um, and we've had a partnership with KPMG. So we've kind of talked about a few of their roles. But you're in the restructuring team. Why did you choose that team and what does that team actually do?
1: Yeah, so I would have actually came back from the States and applied for deal advisory, which essentially covers restructuring corporate finance and transaction services. And then in that summer, I would have got placed into restructuring as an intern um, and went through the summer there as an intern and then got offered the full-time role for when I was finishing college. So that probably, yeah, pushed me through to accept the role. I enjoyed it at the time um, and I accept it when I finished. Uh, and I think what it does in restructuring context, funnily, within KPMG, there's nearly like a bit of a joke in terms of what what, 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 what do you actually do? Because a lot, it encompasses a lot. Like, I suppose the variety is, is huge, and different aspects can get pulled into it. But in a nutshell, it's bread and butter is insolvency. And insolvency by the means of receiverships and liquidations. So that's essentially when a company runs into trouble. Um, yeah, when a company runs into trouble, a bank or a, a creditor, essentially, who's owed money, will obviously look to get their money back, and then they will have to appoint a receiver or a liquidator to essentially try and get their money back for them. Um, the difference between receivership and liquidation is the receivership is typically an appointment on an asset, so it could be charged against a property, while a liquidation would be a full wind down of a company, like the company. Yeah, okay. So that that is. That's probably the the main component of the restructuring department but obviously restructuring by its nature is quite cyclical so it changes if you know in the bad times it would have been a lot busier than probably 2016 when the economy was at its height which is just by the nature of it so other things there's different elements that come into it as well then there might be there's a bit of advisory work so other kind of reports that you might have to do is if, if a bank is, again, if they're worried potentially about a customer that they've lent to, they might get to a restructuring department to do what we call an independent business review, which would be a kind of a full diagnostic of the company in terms of how they're actually performing and how's the cash flows um performing. And again, it's just kind of nearly a check on a, on a company. So that yeah. would be more around the cash flow work that will be done.
0: So what you just described there sounds more to me like de-structuring. <laughs> You're winding the whole thing up and closing the doors. Yeah, <laughs> is there a difference? Like, is there are there any scenarios where you do restructure and keep the thing alive, or is it really just like shutting? Uh, yeah,
1: it would be. Sorry, an examinership obviously would be gotcha. where yeah, an examinership would, but again, there would be quite. But within my term, and there they would have been quite rare that we would have actually got them. But the examinership is essentially whereby you, yeah, restructured the debts and the company kind of moves on. So it'd be a grace period, um, where an examiner is appointed and they do what's called a scheme for arrangement, which is essentially they kind of lay out how the restructure of the debts will be better than a full wind down and the creditors will do better from it rather than actually kind of wiping the company clean. So that yeah, would be, a, yeah. What positive
0: outlook? <laughs> what would the split be like out of 10 jobs? How many are winding down and how many are trying to revive? Definitely
1: more towards winding down, winding I
0: would down. say. So, well, yeah, I guess like you guys are kind of like last chance saloon kind of thing. So, but it's, it's by default when you're brought in, it's probably not looking too good uh, if they couldn't salvage it themselves. So that that kind of makes sense. And then, is there any element of that role that's particularly like attractive or that people really enjoy uh, getting their teeth into? Um, yeah, so I think I think
1: from <laughs> no, I do think you do get good variety. And again, I from my my my, my point of my point of view, like you, like you would obviously you get an insight into different types of businesses. So you do have to go in and understand them, and I suppose understand how they work, but. So there is different, and again, it by the nature of yeah, just being appointed over different assets. But so there is a variety in that sense. But, um, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, so I think that that's 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 a good good element. Yeah, it.
0: it's it's a very good education for people looking to go into private equity, right?
1: Yeah, and again, it it kind of in some respects it's not as structured, so it kind of depends on what you get handed. So obviously, you know, any type of business could come into it. So on a personal point of view. I had a lot of property assets that were left over, um, that were kind of still winding down. So, in many respects, nearly like an asset management role for me. in, in terms of, mm-hmm. I had different types of properties. I had land down in like Tipperary, Cork, Limerick, and the remit of it was essentially just to work through the process of trying to sell the land for the bank. Um, and again, that would be like liaison with sales agents, again, the value on the land. Um, if we were going to sell the land, dealing with the legals. So you get, you do, you do get good. Like wide commercial experience there, where you're you're dealing with the full kind of breadth of providers, but that would have been, yeah, more asset management style in, in yeah. many ways.
0: That's really cool. And do you get are they giving you good responsibility there, or would you need to go somewhere smaller to get that kind of level of responsibility? No, you definitely, yeah, in that department, I'd say
1: you can definitely get good responsibility oh, right. quite quickly, um, and just by the nature of it, it's kind of depends on who you're working with directly. So I know from like an audit perspective, it's very structured in terms of, you know, you're semi-senior, senior, senior, and it's all very hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Well, in the restructuring department, it really seems to just be if a case comes in, you could be working very closely with a director um, and that could be just you as a trainee consistently. Mm -hmm. So there is is huge exposure to that. Um, Even on my own experience in there, there would have been liquidation I spent a lot of time on. Um and it was I suppose it's quite a topic of liquidation, but it would have been one to do with a pension fund that would have went the pension fund that was it was in the news a long time ago, but essentially the people working in it were misappropriating a lot of funds. And the whole remit of it was trying and this was a huge pension fund that had property assets all over Europe. Right, and they were all in different SPVs. the whole remit of it was to essentially get the misappropriated money. So what they had done was they were taking people's cash investments and propping up property investments, even though the investor hadn't told them that they wanted to do that. And then this is pre-recession. And they thought that they would get through, um, keep everything afloat. But it didn't. And know it went belly up. <laughs> and that was kind of one of our tasks was as a liquidator pointed to that. You kind of stepped into nearly an investment manager role because you were then the liquidator of this huge yeah. pension fund company. But now you would have had a sub-investment manager which would have been doing a lot of the day-to-day. But from your point there, you're saying, do you get experience? Like I was on that job for a while and yeah, like it was was pretty chaotic in the sense that I was working quite closely with a director, but like the phone line would have directly come to my phone. Um, You'd be dealing with these people, you know, massive queries on, again, tough queries, like I won't lie, it's one of the toughest things I've done some of those phone calls, but you'd be mm. quickly trying to answer the problems about what had happened or trying to kind of, yeah, defuse certain situations. But in that certain role, you would work quite closely with the director and a lot of the reports we would have done would have been reporting directly to the high court. So it was good, it was good exposure. Now it, it's quite bespoke, that's the only thing. And that's that's kind of the, the whole premise, I think, of that department, a lot of yeah. things that there is quite bespoke and unique um so yeah that, that would have been one of the things very
0: uh, very intellectually stimulating i'd say like that sounds really cool that does sound yeah cool, seem to be and um, does the so, uh, accounting exams as well probably does
1: yeah it does definitely um and i think that's a benefit of it in terms of i wouldn't i wouldn't say restructuring is overly technical as a, as a subsector um especially it when you compare it to the likes of, you know, corporate finance at TS, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it has that same level of modelling. But by doing the exams in parallel with it, I think you do build up obviously a huge technical experience, which is good, um, yeah. and it's good to have that behind you even for going forward.
0: Um, yeah. So yeah, that's a, that's class experience. Yeah. So you were there nearly four years, um, and then you moved into uh, LionCore as an investment analyst. What was the what was the driver for that move? And, and you know, how was LionCore being? Yeah, so so as I said there, like
1: my role in restructuring was very kind of asset management led. Um and I knew I knew I knew from going into KPMG that I didn't I was never one to really stick out the long haul in there. There's was a huge pros to I think going down that path and yeah, kind of going the going through each step, but I knew myself that I'd always wanted to move on. Um but the nature of what I was looking to do next I kind of would have thought what is there in Ireland in terms of industries that I like that attracts me to them and kind of large industries so in my eyes I would see like tech real estate and aircraft leasing as three of the bigger industries Mm -hmm. in Ireland from personal point of view real estate's always attracted me um just yeah again a family history within it and plus within KPMG I had exposure to it so I thought it was kind of a natural progression so but well, at that stage, I looked, went through a recruiter. Um, this was quite early. I think it was probably January, and I was finishing in April of that year. So I, I was quick to realize that I wanted to kind of move on. And got went through a recruiter, and they they kind of, again, offered up the potential of core and the opportunity to, to join there. So, yeah, so it's good. It kind of, an investment analyst role is different to what I've been in. So, like, as I said, in certain sites I would have sold in KPMG, there was one we actually we actually sold to Line Court that is now in my current job. Um, mm. It went across, and even looking at it on that nature, I think the difference is huge. So, it's a site down in Cork, and when I was selling it, or when we we were selling it in KPMG, like the what it was was a site, and my role would have been, you know, sort out the security and the insurance, uh, make sure that there's like actually on that particular site with travellers who had moved on, which is the funny thing oh. about KPMG, and like. One of my tasks at was fucking sort out these travelers, like, you know, get them off the land. <laughs>
0: like,
1: I think, yeah. And again, touching back on that, like, Capeview was dealing with, you know, one one different site, sewage pump had leaked, and we were being sued by the adjacent landowner. And we were in a legal office in Mason Hayes with my boss for a whole day talking about how we were going to win this case about leaked sewage. Like, I was like, what the? Like, down in Tipperary, opening manholes, thinking the sewage cannot possibly go in here. So, like, when I <laughs> restructuring was was hilarious uh it, it, like good crack and you've seen a lot and definitely commercially learned a lot because things like that you just won't get again but <laughs> flipping back to sorry my new role um i saw that so you saw that side in, in cork and you're dealing with things like that and in terms of a future like forward-looking perspective you're going to the sales agent and they were just giving you a price right? they'd say that lands worth two million sell it for two million and we'd say yeah right okay that's the value We'd sell it for 2 million. We'd do a report back to the bank and we'd have our expenses we've incurred and we'd have our sales price and that's it done. So that would have been KPMG. Flipping across to the new role, what would happen in the new role is we would have bought that side of 2.5 and then we would have had engaged you know, an architect to do maybe a feasibility study versus what we potentially think we can get in terms of the mix of units, um, the sizing of the units, and then we'd look at the market down there in terms of, how many houses we can think, think can think it can take a year versus what the sales prices is, and we project everything going forward. So we'd project our cash flows and we pull out a return. So for me, that's what attracted me, like the ability to look forward and to kind of mm. manipulate figures to get a get a return perspective. And um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, that flip from to the investment world attracted me.
0: What what direction are we headed in here? Like when you leave something like uh, restructuring in KPNG. You go into a lion gore, you're what are you trying to move towards? Having principle or a carry or a stake in the, in the investment. Does that that's the kind of broad direction, is it? Or moving closer. Yeah, moving closer to the deal. Same thing, I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I suppose in terms of what I was trying to achieve, it's firstly just understanding how it all works. Um, which yeah. I think I've got a greater understanding in the past 12 months and in terms of each step. And then the greater goal yeah understanding how it all works the ability to identify a, a deal or ie a site and then in the long term yeah you'd like to think that you'd get a proportion or you there is potential maybe down the line to get yes yeah, some type of sh- share in a deal yeah. um and to be honest i'm not privy to that at the minute just in terms of my level that I, that I came in at but um that would be kind of an aim for a lot of people to just build out a skill set and it's it's like any industry really isn't it like if you build out a skill set and an ability, and it takes a good few years to to do that, and mm. um, you know, even my my level now takes you know a long time until essentially prove <laughs> your worth at a certain level. If you have enough worth and ability, you could probably you can negotiate, I suppose, more of a better deal on that front.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I asked because. Uh the way grad life works, it kind of, it, this will land in the ears of pretty much any student who's interested in this sort of stuff. And so for them to know the path and like the general kind of arc, I think is very useful. You mentioned it a minute ago, and when you mentioned it, I was kind of thinking, I am a bit surprised you didn't end up doing aircraft leasing, because that is the kind of like hot and sexy thing in in Ireland, I, from my opinion, to be doing. Um, at least it always seemed that way from the outside to me. But, you didn't and you went into property and now you're on that path so what i'm thinking is how funny it is that, like had you gone into a different team in kpmg you could have been on a whole other kind of trajectory like it's it's almost quite fickle at the start in terms of which way you go uh at the very start will determine your trajectory and then over time those destinations are very very different definitely oh 100 percent,
1: yeah like even even in that sense like for me to get that slight property exposure in the restructuring department, albeit not directly applicable to the latest role, but it's something to lean on to kind of go in for the interview, do you know? Yeah. um. But yeah, it, 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 it's funny, like how I think people kind of land in things certain, in certain times and then it just propels their future kind of trajectory. It's, yeah,
0: it's so weird. Like I've ended up in a data pipelining company, like totally <laughs> random. and like, I probably should be working around data pipelines for quite a while. It's a weird, it's a weird kind of thing that just happened. Do you so well, obviously, like, people here be listening and they be thinking Ireland had a massive property boom in the 90s and noughties? Do you think, like, what does the future of Irish property kind of look like to you? Do you think there's still as much money to be made there as there was during that time, or has it kind of flattened out as a more mature market? Uh, like, obviously, with population growth, there's going to be a lot of supply needed um, over the next, you know, decades, I guess. Yeah, um, it's...
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's clear really from even just looking at the housing market now in Ireland, like they're saying, demand is just rocketing, especially post COVID. Where the reality is, a lot of people have actually saved a lot of money for yeah. deposits. But it's funny, it's 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 changing in the sense that there's what's happened currently, and which we are building a lot of is apartment blocks. So there's a lot of kind of multi-family apartment blocks being built, um, probably on the premise that they think Ireland is going to move more towards that model. So, obviously, in the States, there is a, a lot of kind of family life and a lot of living in multifamily blocks. Well, historically, Ireland would have, you know, lived in the kind of three-bed semi-D with the, yeah. with the garden at the back. So that is where a lot of the money is moving into in Dublin at the minute, and that's where kind of the pipeline is leading towards. But, um, yeah, I think that there'll always be that there's always demand for it, um, and there has to be because... The population's, you know, the population is growing rapidly, it's mm. still growing rapidly, and and there is a lack of stock. And I think from twenty twenty ten or twenty thousand twenty ten to twenty fourteen, like we're still we're still suffering the impact of the lack of build at that point. Yeah, like even real basis, we're not hitting the target of the amount of homes we need to build, and that's excluding the missed years of those. So, so there's, there's huge demand and when you kind of say is the money to be made i think i think things change in terms of products so you'll always see i think it's funny like it always the money will kind of always flow to where there is a demand for a product and at the minute it's apartment blocks but i've no doubt that it might change again down down the line and like there will always be a kind of sector with a subsector within real estate that that is attractive i think and for me i I, it's not happening at the minute, but I think with the way the population go it is aging in Ireland um, the way our generation will struggle to build up to buy houses, um, I think there's going to be an issue in years to come in terms of retirement, people retiring. So at the minute, our nursing homes, are quite archaic and I compare it to like the student accommodations when myself and yourself, Mark, were in, st- in college, like when you, you, let's say when you, you when you were in UCD, people lived in like four bed semis as a student, which was just mental and they still do, but there's been a huge development in terms of student accommodation providers in Dublin that just happened quite rapidly post our time. Um, well, so okay. for me in the future, I think there's going to be something ar- around that nursing home model it's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be exactly, but it won't be, I think, similar to what it is right now. And I think it's going to be amplified by the fact that our generation can't actually own a home. So if they don't, well, I say that widely, like obviously some people can, yeah. um, but a lot more percentage-wise won't. I think what's going to happen then is we won't have the equity release, which a lot of our parents have when they need to downsize or take money off the table. A lot of people, a lot of our generation won't have that. And that's going to create serious, serious pressure, I think, down the line. And that's like, you asked me, how do you think it's going to develop? I just think there's always a sector or a subsector that develops. It's just kind of being able to react to that, for
0: me, is 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 what you need to do. I have just learned a ton. I'm going to listen to this back. I'm good. That's very, very interesting. And I'm definitely going to be asking you for more time to run through that. Um, before I do let you go, a couple of quick things. One, any book recommendations for people?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of um Gladwell. I think it's Blink or Outliers, where the 10,000 hour rule Outliers. I think, yeah, I just yeah. think that that's yeah, I just think that is direct, applicable, I think, in anything. Just yeah. time but it gets you towards an outcome.
0: That guy's a genius. And then the Blink one is about first impressions and trusting your gut kind of thing, which makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah. We've told me that a couple of times. Um, I quote to live by, um
1: by this one will resonate with you. Two men look out through prison bars, one sees more than the other sees stars. Oh, my God. How do you remember?
0: <laughs> uh, to honest, I remember. to, honest, to
1: honest, huh? this was a quote that um, we would have been told back in, in our school days. But that actually is a good quote, I think, in the sense that it, it outlook is everything. And it's actually everything in your job, relationships, just how people perceive things. Like I think if you just look at the good sides and a lot of things,
0: it, um. It's it's what you need to do. I think. Be- totally agree. I think you've actually always been very good at that. Um, to be fair as well. But it is it's key. And I'm glad they beat that in school. So much. Um, and then other than that, the best advice you've ever been given slash the best advice you would give these uh, these guys starting out. Um. Yeah, I don't, I, I
1: don't know the one piece of thing that sticks in my head like from anyone that's actually told me. Um, but. For me, I would always just say balance and that's kind of anyone I talk to that's coming to college or yeah, coming to college or at, at any it's just balance in in everything. so whether that be just keeping kind of essentially trying to juggle everything, I think is 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 a good option like in terms of keep just keep everything afloat and that that's on the social side, obviously your exercise whether whatever team sport you're involved in, and um your studies because I just think when you're going full on and everything, it tends to feed into everything. Well, if you have too much time, it actually takes away from performance
0: in my eyes. So it's funny you say that, actually. It's interesting, because I've always admired the way you do that. There's you and uh, probably a handful of people who do that very, very well. Do you have any advice for people on that and how they can do it? Because even for me, in, in, when I was in college, I just, like, when it come up to exam time, I just went all in on exams, stopped exercising, all that stuff. Like, I traditionally haven't been good at balance. I have it now. But you seem to have you've always had it is there a system you're using or um yeah, you know like even on that exam
1: wise i would definitely go if it's close to exams in college i would have maybe i don't know is there a specific type of advice but like yeah. i know i just always think like if you're in if you're in a 24 hour day like exercise an hour of your day, if you just tell you at the end of, like you just have to do it like if you appreciate that that will actually stimulate your mind to get more Output for your rest of your hours of your day, which it does, I think, 100%. It's just a non
0: negotiable, I think, as you'd say.
1: Um, Yeah, this
0: key in managing yourself in these early years is absolutely crucial as well. Yeah, Uh, so I think that's actually, yeah, that's very, very worthwhile advice. Um, Colin Joyce, thanks for me. That was great. Thanks for having me, Mark. Good to chat. Absolutely.